Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. So sometimes, you know, come sermon time, um, it's a lot about us, how we live our lives, how to be better Christians, that kind of thing. It's lots of fun, lots of application. Uh, today's a little bit different. Today is really, we're just focusing in on God. And uh, I was wrestling a little bit with, you know, what is kind of the application or what do we uh, take away from this or how do we apply it? And there is some stuff we'll, we'll talk about at the end. Um, but really, it's, it's more kind of conceptual, and really, it's more just in our understanding. And, um, you know, the, the greatest commandment in Scripture is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And um, my hope is that today, as we grow understanding of who is God and how does he operate and what are his, his characteristics, that we will um, also grow in our love of God and, and appreciation for that. Um, I remember one speaker kind of jokingly, he, he was... I don't remember where I even heard this, but he, he talked, he was making a point, but he talked about, you know, your, your standard three-point sermon, it, traditionally, what you see a lot is that God is great and you suck and so try harder. And that's not a very good representation of the gospel, and so we want to be a little bit careful. And ever since then, I've thought, yes, we must avoid that kind of sermon <laughs> and um, be sure to have something that is just grace-infused and, and full of the gospel. Um, so we are starting a, a series in Genesis, um, starting at the Genesis 1-1. Last week we did kind of a big picture overview. We're going to be looking, for for now the plan is to look at Genesis 1-11. There's kind of a natural break that happens between chapters 11 and 12, in that once you start in Genesis 12, you really start to zoom in on a particular family and the nation of Israel. So that's when Abraham appears, and you start to hear about Abraham, Isaac, you know, uh, Joseph, like it really kind of focuses in there. But in Genesis 1 to 11, you're really covering kind of all of humanity. And so that's the plan for now is, is to cover Genesis 1 to 11. Genesis 1 to 11 covers a lot of time. Those 11 chapters are going to cover roughly 2,000 years. And um, apparently, I mean, it, Genesis 1 to 11 actually covers more time than the rest of Scripture combined. Uh, except for maybe Revelation and that whole end time thing and whatever, you know, is going on there. But, um, so all of that. Also, Moses wrote this very roughly around 1,400 years before Christ. So we are, you know, 3,400 years, 3,400 years removed from when Genesis 1 to 11 was written. And that is remarkable, one, simply to, to have a text that is that old, but secondly, to have a text that is so old and yet still applies to today. And actually, as we study Genesis 1 to 11, and then as we look at a lot of what is happening in our cultural today, you just go, no, same stuff, just kind of new label on it, right? I mean, it's a lot of these things just kind of get repeated uh, year after year, uh, decade after decade. They just get relabeled somehow. So um, that is uh, a little bit of what happened last week. Um, so, yeah, some, power, some powerful stuff there. This was very—I I hadn't really thought about this a whole lot, um, but this week. But actually, we, we actually know that—hang with me here. We actually know that Genesis 1-1 was not the beginning. 
it was our beginning, and it was the beginning of matter and space and time and that kind of thing. But there were actually things happening before creation that Scripture speaks to. For instance, we know that before Genesis 1-1 took place, that God existed in supreme glory. We, we, we see that in other scriptures. Um, I mean, even just the opening verse, in the beginning, God. I mean, so, so God was there before any of this. Uh, God existed before time began. He has neither beginning nor end. He is entirely self-sufficient. He needs nothing more than himself in order to, to exist. Moses wrote, before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, Deuteronomy, the eternal God is your refuge. Uh, Habakkuk says that God was from everlasting, and Paul calls him the everlasting God. So before Genesis 1-1 even happens, God existed in supreme glory. Secondly, we know that the divine trinity was in loving communion before Genesis 1-1 happens. So, so God is the one true God. He exists in the three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that does not mean that you have one God manifesting himself in three forms, nor that there are three gods. It means one God exists in three persons who are equal in their attributes, yet individual and distinct in their offices and ministries. And, and, and we really kind of take that casually, but a lot of brilliant people had to spend a lot of time to really narrow down and finalize uh, a lot of this stuff. Um. In regards to, to kind of their distinction, uh, we, you know, the Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. God the Father did not die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus did not come down at Pentecost. God the Father did not come down at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. So we do see this, this distinction and yet this oneness. The third thing that, that we know happened before Genesis 1-1 happened is that the divine trinity planned the redemption. The wonderful plan of redemption was not an afterthought for God's people were chosen in Christ, according to Ephesians and Revelation, before the foundation of the world. They were given to the Father, uh, by the Father to the Son to belong to his kingdom, that's in Matthew 25, to share in his glory, that's in John in multiple locations. The sacrificial death of the Son was not an accident, it was an appointment, uh, that's an axe in a couple places. And he was slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13. So why does God need to plan our, our redemption when Adam and Eve were made perfect and they're in this perfect relationship and, and everything was, you know, perfect in the Garden of Eden? And it's because God knew that we would mess it all up. And so before anything was created, the... However a trinity works, they all sat down at a table or had a conversation with himself. I don't know how those things work, but, you know, they go, okay, we're going to create this, and then mankind is going to screw it up. How do we bring them back into relationship with us? And somewhere in that conversation, it was, well, we have to pay the penalty to be restored in that relationship. So the plan is established for Jesus to come and die for our sins. All of that was mapped out before, in the beginning, God.
So, before Genesis 1-1, God existed in divine glory, the Trinity was in loving communion, and the Trinity planned the redemption. Um, I want to explain a little bit of kind of the, the poetic structure of Genesis 1, and then I, I'm going to read through it so, so that you can see some of these patterns. Um, it, I, I have a slideshow. You're welcome. I hardly ever do slideshows. I have a slideshow. Um, the pictures that are on the background of this slideshow are pictures from the Hubble telescope. Just like Google Hubble telescope pics. Um, it is mind-boggling. So this is not like some artist didn't draw this. This like Hubble took a photo and sent it back to Earth, and this is some of, of what got sent back. Mind-boggling, mind-boggling. So I just did this so that we could be reminded of our smallness. All right, um, poetic structure, uh, or yeah, structure. Uh, Moses writes the book under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's it's broken down into six days. You will see as we go through. You'll see one or two paragraphs dedicated to to each day and almost each day is going to contain some of these components um almost everyone will will have the component of god said let there be so and it's really interesting the only time you see god actually doing or even possibly even doing any kind of manual labor is when he forms man out of the dust of the ground and we've sort of assumed that that he kind of manually did that but we don't know but everything else is just a spoken word. God said, let there be. So that, that's the first component. The other component that you're going to see repeated over is that, and it was so. So God speaks, and it happens. Um, God saw that it was good. So God reviews his work, he examines it, he reflects on it. It's all good, it's all great. The only time where he says it's not good is actually in regards to the isolation or the loneliness of Adam. So, so God looks at Adam by himself and is like, boy needs help. And, and so he says, that's not good. So then he creates Eve. That's the only time where, where we see not good. You will also see um, God called. So there's, there's almost like this, this naming or, or that, that takes place. And we kind of get the sense that, that God names everything. Except for the animals, we see later on that, that God will do that. Uh, Psalm 147 tells us that God determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. So that's kind of fascinating. So as we go through these space pictures and look at pictures of galaxies, you know, and each galaxy has whatever, I don't know, thousands, millions of stars and planets and whatnot. They all have a name. And God has a name for each one of them. That's pretty cool. Uh, each section will usually end with, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day, the second day, the, the third day. That, that's a pattern that, that we see repeated. And actually, to this day, uh, in Jewish culture, they will tell you that the next day begins at sundown. So, they would, so today is Sunday. They would say, when the sun sets, Monday has begun. Like, we tend to break days at midnight, or sometimes even the dawn of the next day, but they would they would tell you that the next day begins when the when the sun sets, and you actually even see some of that um, uh, some of that timing uh, relevance in the New Testament, and so it's very kind of interesting. The other thing that's just kind of interesting is that according to this, each day begins in darkness, and ends in light. We might cover that later on. We're also going to see some like separating or portioning or dividing a lot more so in the first three days. Uh, in the first three days, you, you, there's kind of this distinct God separates. 
the light from the earth. God separates the water above and below. God separates the water below, forms land and seas. Um, then the next three days, it, it's kind of more of almost more of a multiplication rather than a separating, but it, there's kind of this dividing aspect to it. God creates the lights, and so there's, he creates all the lights, so that he kind of like multiplies the, the stars in the sky. God creates animals on the dry ground, birds, fish, um, that kind of thing. When God creates man, he separates them into male and female. So I'm going to read to you chapter 1. You can either follow along or just listen. If you like to mark in your Bible, you can mark some of these patterns or mark the days. But as I read through this, just listen for, for some of these, these patterns in this, in this kind of poetic structure. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, and now we begin the kind of this, this sequence. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters, and there, was the, uh, there were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which uh, is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for the signs for the seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swim with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. When we look at the six days, we see two patterns uh, of three. Um, and, and you could divide these in between forming and filling. So in the first three days, days one, two, and three, God forms the earth. On the first day, God creates light. He separates it from darkness. On the second day, he forms the sky or the heavens, uh, the firmament. On the third day, he forms dry land. In days four to six, he goes back and he fills each one of those. So on day four, God fills the sky with sun, moon, and stars. On day five, he fills the water with fish and the heavens with birds. And on day six, he fills the land with animals and reptiles and then finally with mankind. So you can see that really day four correlates with day one. And day five correlates with day two. And day six correlates with day three. You see first a set of three where he forms and then uh, a set of three where he fills. On day six, God creates mankind, male and female, he creates them. And that, it's been interesting to, to, ref, to reflect on that. There are a lot of ways that our society is divided, right? Or as people that, that we are uh, categorized. We are categorized, we are divided by race, by language, by economics, by gender, by religion, by nationality, by geography, by all these things. But only one of them is actually instigated at creation. And that is male and female. Now, you, you could make the case, understanding gen genetics, that really all races were pre-programmed into, into um, Adam and Eve's genetic code. Um, and currently, on my understanding of genetics, I, I do think that that's what would have happened. So uh, if Adam and Eve would have had a complete ge genetic code, then to oversimplify this, then basically one child could have been Asian, one child could have been African, one child could have been European, that kind of thing, as, as the genetic code uh, started to, to kind of separate out and, and uh, separate. So, but all that was not revealed yet um, in, in Genesis 1. Also, the other thing is that the New Testament treats Adam and Eve as real specific people. Uh, you know, because sometimes, well, are like Adam and Eve just like symbolic of a people group, or is it a representation of this or of that? But in New Testament, I think even Jesus himself really treats Adam and Eve as 
one man, one woman. So based on that, I assume that there it's, it's one man, one woman, uh, literal uh, two people. But so anyway, so gender is the only distinction revealed in Genesis 1. Uh, and, I, and I think there's some significance and, and symbolism in that. Both Adam and Eve are created in the image of God. And that's very important to remember. Um, I think you can make a really good case arguing that because he created us differently, he also outlined different roles for us, um, but that's still equal worth and, and equal value. But always remember that male and female each represent different aspects of God. Pure feminism, untainted by sin, represents parts of who God is. Pure masculinity, untainted by sin, represents part of who God is. In scripture, we see God using both male and female analogies to describe himself. And I, I would offer to you that today the, the two genders are too wrapped up in proving to one another that either we don't need one another or that one is better than the other or that one can do everything and that the other one can't. Or, but in doing so, we're missing the beauty and the intentionality of God's design. In creating Adam and Eve in the image of God, he gave both of them dignity in that they are true image bearers of God. He gave both of them dominion in that both are to rule over the earth. He gave both of them distinction, and he gave both of them duty. I mean, the first thing that God said was this command to be fruitful, to be multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Learn to see the characteristics of God in one another. Um... I'll touch on, on the kind of the creation evolution thing uh, very briefly. Um, lots of discussion on this. Uh, very broadly, there are three different categories. Uh, there is the theistic evolution. So that would say that uh, evolution was the process that God used to bring the earth as we know it. The earth it would be approximately 4.5 billion years old. Uh, and the six days of creation refer to um, like seasons of evolutionary development. So that would be theistic evolution. You have young earth creationism. So that would say that the earth is between 6,000 and 10,000 years old. Um, that the, the fossils that, that we see laid down were laid down by the flood uh, that was global in scope and that the God created the world in six literal days. And then you have old earth creationism would say that God created the universe through a combination of natural process and direct intervention. So again, the earth is approximately four. 0.5 billion years old, um, and um, but the six days of creation need not be taken literally as 24-hour periods. This is one of those things where, for me personally, I, I think it's important to know and to be able to discuss, but yet at the same time, I don't consider it critical to the gospel. Um, you know, this, this is not uh, about salvation or the identity of Christ or, or anything like that. So it, it is important. Um, I would encourage you to read and study uh, on that. Um, I would offer this to you, you know, because for a while I worked on a master's in biochemistry until I realized that I hated that. Uh, it was interesting, though, during that time, you know, a professor would, you know, create, you know, do a presentation, and then they would share something, and then they would say, you know, and then this proves creation, or this proves evolution, but you step back and you look at it and you'd be like, uh, no, no, it, 
it doesn't like that doesn't that doesn't prove anything like that's you bringing in kind of your predetermined religious philosophies and overlying the data you know i mean i think you and i i forget what it is is it's 92 or 98 maybe it's even 99 percent you know you and i sh- the, the genetic code that you and i share with a mouse is uh, it's either 92 or 98 percent identical right because you know we both have a lungs and heart and a circulatory system and a nervous system and four limbs and some kind of skin and some kind of hair and i mean like when you step back i mean there's actually a lot of similarities between us and mice right and i like i'm still all for killing them okay like that doesn't mean they have to live free in the pantry okay but you know okay so we've got like a 98 percent similarity well what does that tell us you know does that say evolution happened or not well no it just says that we both have a circulatory system and a nervous system and and that kind of thing um for me personally where i'm at now i would i would fall under under the young earth creationist Uh, i think that as you read about the flood i think that it produces some better answers actually on just where we're at and fossil records and all of that Uh, secondly even with an old earth theory you just don't have enough time for evolution to have happened Uh, and thirdly is just the complexity of proteins A, a protein i mean how it goes from a dna structure or a dna sequence to actually forming a protein which is kind of this complex series of molecules that then basically form and wrap and basically create a very complex machine that i think it's atp as something triphosphate whatever which basically powers each of these little machines that do a very specific function and and they have computer kind of diagram models of what these different proteins look like you know to accidentally come up with a, a protein that actually functions and does something useful to the rest of the, c- the, the cell, you know, that it's living in. Uh, you know, it's kind of like saying, well, I accidentally created a computer program and it works really well, right? Like, just the complexities involved in creating a single protein are remarkable, and that's just a protein. That's not even a full organ or species or, or anything like that. So, um, anyways, that's, that's where I'm at now. The other thing is that I would highly endorse the, the Creation Museum and the Ark to you. Uh, we got to go see those early, uh, you know, this last year. They were amazing. And the other thing I would say is just that in your reading on this and, and your research, because you need to go figure out for yourself, just remember that a lot of the public information, if it's from a secular perspective, will probably endorse the evolutionist evolution perspective just because that is kind of the the predetermined worldview that they stepped into the scientific data with. And so if you do actually want the other side of it, then you do need to look up authors and scientists with the biblical worldview and how they're analyzing the data and and that kind of thing. And there's quite a bit out there, actually, um, if if you're willing to to go dig through it. so uh, genesis 1 so what do we do with this what is what does this tell us about god i mean we see amazing things about god his majesty his power his glory his pre-planning um this actually even not even just so much about god but it actually shares a lot just on the beauty and the complexity and the genius in the writing of genesis 1 1 i mean it's just it's so 
well written, so densely written. Um, you know, last week we talked about some of these amazing number sequences that we see in the creation account with threes and sevens and tens and, and that kind of thing. Uh, when it comes, though, t- to day-to-day life, here's what I pull out of Genesis 1. Sometimes people uh, come to me for, for counseling. And almost always, it's some combination of sin and suffering, right? Either we're suffering because sin exists in the world, or, you know, someone is sinning and so someone else is suffering, or someone is suffering and so someone else is choosing sin or whatnot. Like, it can kind of just be this nasty cycle. But almost everything that, that comes into my office, honestly, you can put it into two piles of sin or suffering. And, and, and then you kind of start to, to work through those. Oftentimes, in, in those early meetings or in that first meeting or two, when we're just kind of working through the issue, I will point people to Genesis 1. Because in Genesis 1, we see a God who hovers over the nothingness and speaks into existence that which did not exist before. So, hypothetical situation. A couple comes to me, or an individual comes to me, marriage is rough, you know, there, there, there's, no, there's no love, there's no respect in the marriage. Okay? The goal is not to reignite love or rekindle it or take us back to a, a time or whatnot. That's not where my hope lies. My hope is actually in a God who can hover over the nothingness and speak into existence that which did not exist yesterday. So your marriage or your relationship lacks love. It lacks respect. Um, you, you're in a situation where you need forgiveness. You need healing. You, you, you need proper identity just because your, your self-identity has suffered. And so you are suffering because of that. My hope for you and your situation is not in your past or what it was back in the day or anything like that. My hope is in a God who can come to that situation, hover over the nothingness, and speak into existence that which was not there yesterday. Now, I I would also still say that, I mean, we still need doctors, we need counselors, we need pastors, we need psychologists, like we, we need all of these professions but I would also offer to you that really that they are guides. Only God creates, like truly creates. All these people can be excellent, excellent guides on how to get from A to B and questions and how to work through stuff, and, and I endorse all of them. But only God speaks into existence that which did not exist yesterday. All of you will counsel. You will counsel friends, you will counsel family, you will counsel parents or kids, you will counsel yourself, right? I mean, just on how to get through the day or what's going on, right? Like, we offer counsel to each other all the time, right? Not everything makes it into my office or the office of a counselor, a professional counselor, or anything like that, and and that's fine. But as you counsel yourself and your friends and your family, and, and as you kind of serve as a guide... As necessary, direct people to Genesis 1. Because in Genesis 1, we find hope for any situation of the God who hovers and the God who speaks into existence that which did not exist yesterday.
And in every time he does that, afterwards we see, and it was good. Tell them about the God who hovers, the God who separates, the God who speaks. And every time it was good. This is the God we serve, and this is the God we give our life to. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, just for starters, just the literary beauty and, and genius and, and architecture of Genesis 1. But more than that, God, we thank you for what it teaches us about you. And Lord, uh, our hope and our prayer this morning is that as we learn more about you, that we love you more. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all our mind. And Lord, we want to grow in that today. So Lord, I pray for each person here that as we have grown in knowledge of you, that we love you more. It's hard to love someone or, or something without getting to know them. So we want to get to know you more, who you are, your heart, what's important to you, what frustrates you, what excites you, what you're passionate about. And Lord, more and more may our heart reflect your heart. God, I pray that over each one of us this morning. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.